Hi, welcome to PhD Rhapsody, an honest podcast about PhD's life where we share our stories, some experiences, and funny moments. Here we talk how PhD changed our life, share our fears and achievements during our scientific research. I'm Martin. I'm Bilda. I'm Agina. Okay, I think this is a special episode. I was looking forward to this one from the beginning, I think. Why is that? Because we have a special guest. We have two guests. And it's our... Supervisors! Yay! Welcome both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So who wanna say hi first? Okay, I can go first. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone. Uh, my name is Christian Heimbeide. I'm an associate professor at the University of Bergen. And I have had the pleasure of being Alvina's supervisor. And I am currently Martin's PhD supervisor. Right, and I'm uh, Atle. And I've had the pleasure of being uh, Martin's supervisor on on his uh, master thesis and I'm currently Villa supervisor so I'm looking forward to this post-mortem analysis of us as supervisors <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah well yeah actually I finished my PhD by the way <laughs> yes you did with time to spare as well yeah that's true wasn't that amazing of you know yeah it was a good journey yeah Martin just submitted his first paper a couple of days ago yes that felt good didn't it yeah, I was a bit um, confused why it was so felt so good. I was actually screaming out loud in the office, but that was probably because when you're submitting the paper within the editorial manager or like the site where you actually submit the paper, it was so slow. They were like bustering for so long, and then I was like, "Don't, don't crash, please, don't crash," and then it was good. My supervisor he told me that when you submit the paper, you're about halfway done. But Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty slow. It's a bit satisfying as well, though, going through that, all those steps on the website, and you feel like, now I'm really close. <laughs> what do you feel as a supervisors when one of us submit uh, a paper? It feels much better than when you guys submit your papers than when I submit mine. <sighs> um, I guess the feeling, maybe, you know, Martin's paper was the fourth paper a student of mine submitted. Um, and I feel I get the same feeling when I... When some when a student submits a paper for the first time, I get the same feeling as when I submitted a paper for the first time. That's a good feeling. Yeah, it is, it is. And it's a bit, you know, it's... it's, it's <laughs> the objective of your PhD, or to get through your PhD, you need, to, at least here in Norway, you need to write about three papers, right? So getting the first one done is a major milestone. What about failures? For example, I remember a time when I uh, we went to the conference and that wasn't that wasn't a good uh, talk of mine, and I felt like uh, actually let you down. Like, what did you feel then? I didn't feel that at all. I felt I felt that you. I think when something happens, you should take it as a learning opportunity and see why did I feel bad that time and what can I do to make it feel better the next time. And uh, I think I've always felt when I've had done things and I've hasn't, I haven't done it too well in a way. At least it's been easy for me to identify can I do better the next time and then I try to figure out what to do the next time and then I learn something from it. 
Yeah, I think it's important to, I think it's a really important thing, you know, when you ask, you know, like, what about failures? And I think that, you know, life is full of ups and downs. And that's a really important aspect of doing a PhD or supervising someone who's doing a PhD is realizing these things, you know, life is happening all the time. And you'll have ups and you'll have downs. I think especially the downs are important because, you know, people can have downs because of stuff going on with their PhD or stuff going on, you know, outside their PhD in their in their life overall. Yeah, that's just really important to be aware of. And uh, I don't think that, I think a lot of people feel like you said, you know, like I've let my supervisor down or, or they're afraid of letting the supervisor or someone else down. But I think... Uh, I don't. I don't see that. I don't get disappointed like that. I. Th- I think it's. I think he like Christian made a point that you know you, you take some learning opportunities, but uh, just trying to be aware of people's struggles inside or outside mm. the PhD is something that's quite key. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you're always your worst critic, and another thing is failure. Is it you made a you did a presentation at the conference that wasn't great. Your paper was rejected. Your grant wasn't funded. Is it failure? No. Uh, I wouldn't say it's failure. It's like a, a minor setback in uh, in a long um, set of victories. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a, a much better word. You know, failure is a pretty it's a pretty strong word. And uh, yeah, a setback. You know, you'll have setbacks. You'll have, like I said, you'll have ups and downs. But and I guess these things will happen anyways in your career as a researcher. So maybe it was a good thing that it happened quite early in your career because then you actually had someone to go through it with. Someone to who could hold your hand and tell you that this is normal. I mean, that, yeah, of course I was like, I, I'm, I was failing it, in my mind. Like Christian didn't say, like he was like super supportive and like, yeah. But still, like you think that maybe he was just being nice <laughs> you know if i counted all my bad talks and conferences with major failures uh, i've had a lot of failures a few good ones as well <laughs> but uh, okay what's uh, do you have rules in your mind like obviously you're a supervisor now you are in like different role and you had your phd you have that experience so how would you supervise the rules? Strategy. Yeah, rule strategy. First of all, I find it extremely important that, uh, and you know, in, in, in Norway, we don't say PhD students, we say PhD candidates because here PhDs are like paid the same amount as a nurse or a school teacher. So technically, they're not students, they're employees. But the PhDs, I feel the, the most important thing is that they know what their project is about and they know what to do. They're, like, they're not just fiddling with things and looking at data without any purpose, but they kind of they are working towards the goal of getting the research done and getting the papers out. So I feel they often need I often need to kind of help them to see. Okay, these are the your goal is to write your thesis, and that should consist of consist of about three papers, and this and this and this step is what you need to do to do that thing. That's the first thing. The second thing is that. Many PhD candidates, they kind of, they need to believe in them, themselves and they need to believe that they can do this. They can do this research, they can learn these methods, they can 
put everything together, they can write that paper and they can give that talk at the conference. And I feel that it's often not the skills that's lacking, but it's often the confidence to get on with doing things. Um, finally, I find if I feel it's it's very important not to own, not, not that I should do all of the supervising. I, I feel it's really important to introduce the PhDs to the community and to make them kind of take contact with people who can help them and people who can teach them techniques and people they can collaborate with and expose them to industry where that's relevant and 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 in, expose them to people who care about the things they're doing because if you're interacting with people who are busy with their own projects all the time that's one thing but if you're interacting with people who care a lot about what you're doing i think that helps a lot with the motivation and the feeling of purpose and getting on with the objectives mm. yeah i kind of agree and i think that uh, people need different things as well you know people are different so one thing that i find sometimes challenging is you know to understand you know what kind of support do people need because a very small minority i would say has high confidence and you know but most people need you know help building confidence um and you know there is a lot of pressure with taking a phd as well you have to you know finish a thesis and write papers and make presentations and uh, you feel you have to perform and not disappoint people a lot of people feel like that um so i think our jobs as supervisors is also the way i see it to take off some of that pressure and say mm -hmm. like it's just a phd you know it's not your brother or sister or mother or dad or friend you know it's it is there are things in life that are more important as well so it's, it's kind of like sometimes you have to gain, get a bit of perspective on things and yeah another thing that I, I think is important is you know can help I, I think motivation is really important so some people are very self-motivated but uh, you know I think most of us need to be also motivated by other people and helping you know communicate enthusiasm and motivation I think is uh yeah something that's that's mm. a use well at least that's something I use yeah to try and help people and i also feel that during covid this introducing people to networks hasn't been as easy as it usually is because the conferences have been online and you get the talks but you don't get the interaction and you don't get the building of friendships and you don't get like the casual questions from people who are maybe not interested enough to ask you just after your presentation but they're interested enough to ask you during lunch or during coffee breaks or or during dinner. Um, so that's been a challenge for me during the last one and a half years. And I hope it's going to get better now. No, but I will. I think uh, things are starting to opening up. I think mostly conferences next year will be definitely in person. It will be easier to meet people. And yeah, I was thinking about what motivates me. And I realized for me, it's just a little bit of attention. <laughs> it's like, uh, how are you doing? Good? Okay, that's good. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he noticed me. Nice. And then I'll just keep working. <laughs> uh, what motivates you, Willow? I don't know. That's my biggest motivation. I think yeah, my biggest problem is lack of motivation most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Willow? Mm, I think, well, as Martin said, like attention, but it's more 
but in a way when like all the way during my phd you were the person who who was saying you are the best you could do it i believe in you and yeah, uh, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but hearing it from you yeah. was uh that was a big motivation for me it's like okay if christian uh, believes in me i i mean i should i should <laughs> do nice it <laughs> i will do it i should do it i'll do my best and also um i guess i was also lucky like uh, with my co-author and like co-supervisors mm. and like for example we were having a meeting with dura and you like yeah, you had a big team and people yeah. people really cared about what you were doing yeah and we were like having a meetings at nine o'clock in the evening because everyone was yeah everyone has family kids and stuff and when they go to sleep and then you have like two hours in the evening to talk with me about my project and of course i like i, I will do my best you know mm. for, because you were spending this like precious time <laughs> with me mm. And also, that's a nice place to put in an ad for the next episode, which will be about kids and academia. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, like, just to poke a bit on what you said, Vilda, with, you know, lack of motivation, I think you're not alone with that. There are many people who struggle with motivation, and I think, like, we've discussed it many times, and, you know, these kind of things, like, trying to see the little victories and, and trying to, yeah, you know, be be happy about the little things it can be yeah, you know, it can be hard sometimes if you feel like I'm you know, you're struggling, but um trying to see the good things can sometimes help. But it uh, it's not always so easy. Yeah, because I feel motivation and get really motivated like when you hand in a paper, that's like a big win and you get motivated to continue. But I think I struggle with the small motivations along the way. Like the everyday stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm. Like the Monday blues or whatever you call it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when we're talking about motivation, I think it's one thing that's really... I mean, we've talked about, you know, how can we, you know, how do we supervise our PhD students or, or the PhD students in our group or or how do, how do we try and help motivate people? But the... I mean, the opposite is also very true. You know, it's one of the most motivating things in you know being the kind of jobs that Christian and I have is being with students and seeing them progress in what they're doing um also in their ups and downs and and you know that that's hugely rewarding and and a huge motivation i personally found that you know was really lacking when during the covid trying to yeah it was uh, i missed the students What was your uh, childhood dream? So, <laughs> were you thinking like, oh, okay, I want to be a professor one day, because I wanted to, to be a uh, street cleaner when I was young. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't think about becoming a professor or even a geologist. I was. Um, I mean, I, the first thing that I wanted to do, I didn't have like something that I said during my childhood, this is what I'm going to be. But uh, at the end of school, I wanted to become a pilot. So I um, I applied for the like the military flight academy and went to tests and all that stuff. But, but um, then I started geology instead, and I really liked that. And uh, well, actually, I started chemistry, and I, I sort of accidentally bumped into geology, and, and, and that was it. Yeah. I don't, can't really remember what I wanted to be as a kid, but... 
when I was doing my uh, during high school, I wanted to be something like a foreign correspondent, a journalist, or maybe some kind of photojournalist or something. But these are jobs that are really, you know, they're hard to get. They're difficult to combine with a family life and those things. And uh, I started studying geology because uh, I really liked science and because um, it seemed to be a good way to get a permanent job, oil industry jobs, paid well. And I, there wasn't this awareness of, of um, this climate change back then either. So uh, I wanted to get a job in an oil company um, when I graduated. And then when I started geology, I realized that we were going to the field sometimes, and which really, really motivated me. And uh, I think uh, the field work and the field trips has been what has kind of kept me in and, and, and made me continue here. So you just wanted to be paid to be outside. That was essentially it. So. Yes, I wanted to travel the world on somebody else's expense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, I guess it's uh, having so much fun working, especially because you guys have PhDs, of course. And when you were doing your PhDs, I guess it was so much fun that you just wanted to continue kind of doing the same things. Or was it a bit different than that? It wasn't only fun, but it was fun. Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed I really enjoyed doing a PhD and you know getting into research and I spent a few years working in um, in industry after that but uh, I guess uh, I could say that you know all along my my sort of long term plan was uh, to end up back in academia. Like, why do you like academia? We see a lot of problems, but what's uh... Okay, positive sides of the academia. I think in many ways academia is the best place to work because you can do whatever you want uh, in, a, in, in a good and useful way. So I work on all kinds of projects. I work on offshore wind. I work on like large-scale environmental changes. I work on things that have to do with resources. I get to talk to very motivated, very different people. I get to travel um and i get to collaborate scientifically with people which is a very intense uh, intensely social activity so it's something i enjoy a lot and um i think this flexibility and the freedom and the chance to sit down and read and understand things and work with extremely motivated people you can't really get this package somewhere else you fairly recently got your permanent position mm. Uh, do you have any advice for anyone yes, I doing do. a PhD I, now? I do. So, uh, in order to get a permanent position, you need to be very, very lucky. <laughs> um, which is actually not a joke. So, the thing about academia, right, is that there are very many people who do get their PhDs, but there are very few permanent academic positions, which means that it's not enough to be extremely good it's not enough to be extremely hardworking, but you also need an opening that's relevant for you the time when you are looking for a job. Um, and I think this is an extremely important point. So you can be the best person in your field, you can have all the skills you need, but there might not be an open position for you in a place where you want to work the time you're searching for that job. Um, and I think that is the biggest problem. Uh, in academia. Mm. That's not really an advice. 
No, <laughs> no. I think okay, okay. If you're searching, uh, an important advice is to be aware of this, right? Yes. And if you uh-huh. can't get that permanent job, it might not be because there's something about you that makes you unemployable or something. But it can be that there are just really, really many people who want these jobs. Mm. Yeah, but I think also there is something important there. You know what you refer to as luck. It's also there's also an element of uh, you know being privileged and you know we've certainly been both lucky and privileged to to get the, these kind of jobs um you know and you guys have had i know you've had episodes about for example gender balance and these kind of things and that's a problem in academia you know it's like it's quite uh, biased towards one well towards males and uh, it's quite male dominated uh, extremely male dominated in, in certain fields so in those fields, you could say that, you know, being a man, being white, and, and these kind of things is um, is a privilege that gives you access to opportunities that are denied to some other groups. So I think there are both elements of luck and, uh, and an uneven distribution of opportunities. Mm. And of course, when we start talking about luck and advice, of course, to some extent... Not to the full extent. You can also create your own luck, of course, right? You can, you can, you need your PhD basically to do a postdoc. And maybe you don't. Maybe if you travel for that postdoc, if you go somewhere else, if you do something slightly different, and if you do a postdoc in some field that appears to be something that's very up and coming, and that there will be great demands for, and that there will be large amounts of funding for. Um, it's that's probably a smart thing to do mm. if you want to maximize your chances. Um, yeah, it doesn't. You can't just like sit there and wait and wait to get lucky. Exactly, exactly. So you need to try really, really hard um, and try to create that luck and try to be flexible. Try to find somewhere where you, where what you do could be useful and could be funded. Um, yeah, but. It, I think that one one piece of, uh, well, maybe not advice, but one thing that is is kind of good to do is to try and and have fun, you know, like to try and, um, which is something you know, I think you know it's it's hard to do research if you're not engaged in it and if you're not if you don't think it's fun and interesting. So like to try and follow your interests and and do research that you think is fun and interesting and important i think is is important if you want mm. to well succeed if you like you know in in, in doing something that feels meaningful mm. yes and try to develop a wide skill set try to become good at presenting try to become at good try to become good at writing try at uh, to become good at collaborating with other people um because these are skills that are needed in any industry and in any kind of of, of business and maybe don't think of yourself as someone who can only work on um, seismic data from the Barency, but who can solve a broader range of problems um, using the skills you got from your PhD and master's and your education. Hmm. But what do you guys think about when, from your perspective as PhD students or recent graduates, what do you feel, you know, looking into... Well, looking at academia, what do you see as uh, challenges or 
I think the main challenge is essentially that there's a lot of people who want these few positions that's permanent. Mm. And there's a big competition between a lot of other people. Mm. And I think that's uh, kind of a pessimistic uh, problem with it. But mm. it's a bit difficult. And then you also have what you said about uh, you know bias towards certain genders and skin colors and everything like that. That is also a big problem. Yeah, it's really demotivating when you see everyone trying to get a permanent position. And uh, yeah, not knowing. May- maybe in three years, maybe in six years. Mm. And also, academia isn't the only place to work that's interesting and fun and fascinating, right? You can do really interesting work in the industry as well, and you can do it in state administration, for instance. I know many people who have extremely rewarding jobs in all of in many other fields than academia. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think, you know, <clears throat> I mean, most people, in fact, after doing a PhD, end up somewhere outside of academia. And I think that's that's our biggest impact is, mm. you know, we educate mm. all these people who get their master's degree, their PhD degrees, and then they go on to mm. do important jobs elsewhere, you know, in industry and society and... and uh, I think I think that's the biggest impact, one of the biggest impacts we can have as an as a sort of system or institution. I completely agree. And I think it's, a, you know, if you have fifteen PhD candidates and you ask them, "What do you want to do when you're done with your PhD?" I want to be a professor. I want to be a professor. Everyone wants to be a professor, right? And um, I think it can be probably as much fun to do something completely different than being a professor. So um, maybe this is a sign that uh, the PhDs have too much exposure to other academics and too little exposure to to industry. Yeah, I just think um, when we talk about getting a permanent position in academia, but we sort of forget maybe that it's kind of hard to get a permanent, interesting, uh, exciting job in in industry or somewhere else. So Hmm. there are not much of the opening position for geologists for right now, for example. Hmm. So... I think it's I think it's the same everywhere. Yeah. Ten years ago, or maybe even five, six years ago, things would have been completely different. Everyone who wanted to could get the job before they were finished. Um many master students got the job six months before they graduated. So there's ups and downs and um I think there's many other rewarding careers out there. Absolutely. I just when I when I like think and see, like look at our department and see how like there are few females, so I don't really yeah. Well, I see uh, like female professor. Okay, I see them, you know. But when I think like, do, like I think Martin asked me once like, do you want to be a professor? And I'm like, I'm not sure that I can make it. You know, yeah. it's like it's not yeah. like I don't. I, I have I don't have a dream like to become a professor mm-hmm. like because there's few role models. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and to me at least, we have loads of people close to retirement age, and we have few women. But there are the number of PhDs or, or the gender balance or the gender ratio in among the PhDs is about fifty fifty. So yeah. to me, that is a sign that the, the gender composition of the faculty will change quite a bit in the next 10-15 years. Yeah, well, that that gives me actually a hope. 
<laughs> when because okay, we when Martin asked me about that, we started to calculate, and then I think we talked about it about it in the gender uh, episode. So yeah, so in the the newest uh, group that we have in in our department, the ratio pro- like between yeah professors that they are fifty fifty. So I'm like okay, so mm. yeah, it actually might change. So you just need to work hard, but then you actually need to work hard everywhere. Yeah, but to be a bit more pessimistic, okay. I mean, I'm involved <laughs> okay, in this okay. uh, project called uh, Gender Act. We're working on some of these issues with the gender balance at the at the faculty, and, and you know, it's been at the student level, it's been fifty fifty for many years. And when I was a student, which is a long time ago, I think this the sort of narrative was that yeah, it's pretty male dominated and amongst the professors. But over the years, that will change. Just look at the student population; mm-hmm. it was more fifty fifty. And the fact that you have a good recruitment base is a good thing, but it doesn't mean that from there it goes automatically. Now it's all going to even out because there are biases, you know, implicit biases and explicit biases, and there are cultures and networks that, you know, need to be worked on. It's cultural change isn't something that happens automatically. So I I think we really need to put uh, hard work in and and, uh, make sure that these things do change for the better. I, I don't ha- I don't have any numbers to pull out of my hat, but I know like the medical faculty was was very male dominated a few decades decades ago, but now that has changed, and it's it's more balanced. But so it's uh, that gives uh, you know good hope that we can achieve similar things in our fields. And also, it seems like there's such a bigger discussion around it as well, and I think that can really really help the yeah. issue. I just think when uh, we look at the industry, like CEOs, right? There are also not many women, so I think it's like it's a everywhere a problem, mm. Mm. and that demotivates. <laughs> yeah, that sort of unbalance that you you feel like you know, because of the way it looks up up there, you know, with with such a male dominance in professors, you would feel like. You would have to work yeah. harder than the other guys to to make it. Yeah, I understand that. So, ladies out there, <laughs> <laughs> kick the butts of your uh, male uh, colleagues. Yeah, but uh, they are, they are kicking the butts of other male colleagues, and that's that's the thing. That's the thing, you know. Like fixing gender balance isn't is not about fixing the women. It's about fixing the system, and I think that um, you know that's what we have to work on: cultural change. Well, I think we should steer this conversation in a... We, okay, fuck that. <laughs> I think I will acknowledge that, that we went a bit too deep. I think we'll just keep it in as it is. Um, but I really want to ask, what was the best memory you, you guys had from when you were a PhD student? You can start with you, Apple, or mm-hmm. maybe Christian. You can start with me. Best moment was the best moment so one of the best moments was of course being in East Greenland in the field Um, but I think also you know the conferences and but that this feeling of sitting in my office reading about something interesting and having the time and the opportunity to learn something very interesting um, maybe that is the main positive thing for me and I don't have the same opportunity to just sit down and read 10 papers anymore. Uh, now I have tons of projects going on. I have uh, 
thesis or thesis drafts to read and paper drafts to read and uh, I kind of missed this opportunity to read I don't think you can do that in many other jobs early stage PhDs are yeah it's a very special position to be in because you actually have the time to sit down and get to know a new subject and you're even getting paid for it my favorite PhD memory yeah what is it getting the PhD (laughs) 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 no I think um, there are many things you know many fantastic experiences traveling to pretty awesome places that you wouldn't go if you didn't go there for work Um, and you know the people and the freedom to you know just pursue these research questions even though half the time I didn't know what the hell I was doing (laughs) it was uh, you know really fun and uh, rewarding most of the time so yeah so when did you feel like okay I got this researching I mean I know how to do it now never never I still don't know what I'm doing (laughs) (laughs) so is there a thing that you would do differently in your life in your research 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 life research life um are you thinking about like right now yeah like do you think did you have done any like mistake or what what would you do differently there's probably many things i could have done differently but i feel that i'm happy where i am um and uh, i've learned from my mistakes or failures (laughs) in a way i think when it comes to when i when i look back at my phd uh i see that the main error that i did because i was I was a couple of months over time for my PhD, which meant that I was working on my PhD, but I didn't get paid to do it. And I feel the main problem, the main thing I did wrong was that I didn't, I spent too much time, you know, polishing my interpretations. I spent a lot of time making sure that all my interpretations were absolutely perfect and I should have locked in my interpretations at a much earlier stage. Mm. Um, That's the first thing. The second thing is that I should probably have Right now, looking back, I, f- I see that writing papers, for instance, it's not actually that difficult. You have quite an obvious structure, and maybe I didn't know about know enough about this structure in a way. And I, I feel, um, yeah, those two things are probably the things that could have helped me most if I kind of saw that much earlier. Adler, your, your PhD was like... Uh quite a long time ago right you probably just don't remember it's almost uh, it's uh, almost 14 years ago so it's not that long ago. I, I'm joking yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, what was the question what would I do different yeah during my PhD or mm. during my PhD let's, let's start with PhD ooh yeah I don't know I would uh, I would probably start working a lot earlier i feel like i spent a lot of time just uh goofing around and before i really properly started writing up my thesis i think i was uh yeah wasting a lot of time but anyway you know later in my career you know one thing that i i think uh, i've come to realize now and more and more is like you know what you do as a sort of more senior person is is quite important for how people look at well, for how people think what they should be doing. So um, 
for example, trying to be a bit better role model in terms of, yeah, for example, work-life balance, which I, I think I'm pretty good at now. I leave when I'm done and, and I I don't normally don't work in the evenings and I don't work in the weekends. And so I think it's important to show that to people and say, like, you know, I'm taking my holidays. I'm If you project this image that you work all the time and then people get the idea that this is what they have to do to succeed mm. in academia, which I think is, is quite unhealthy. So if I would change anything, I would, uh, you know, one, there are probably many things, but that's one thing, you know, trying to realize that a little bit earlier. Yeah, I um I could see that you were looking a bit at me when you were saying stop goofing around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel a bit uh, personal attacked, uh, no. but uh, that's fine. I mean, that's uh, oh, that was uh, not directed at you, Martin. <laughs> I have a tendency to do it. And I'm really sorry about do that, you? Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, the other day it was um, we had the, this bachelor's evening where. Um, The different research groups are me- meeting all the different the bachelor students because they're applying for masters and they could kind of choose which group they want to belong to. Sort of like uh, sitting down for the first time in a high school cafeteria. Uh, and then I was talking to another PhD candidate at the university and he asked me, oh, wh- why, did you, why are you carrying around this poster? And then I said, well, I'm a part of this bachelor's evening thing. And he said, oh, Why Why would you spend time on something that's not your project? <laughs> But I don't think that counts as goofing around, though. I think that counts as outreach, which is super important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and just generally doing, you know, service to, to, to your department or the academic community, you know, is... It, it's you know a good thing as long as it doesn't mean that you have to do a load of work for free and that you know sort of puts balance in your time and stuff like that and i think it's it's really a good thing yeah because outreach is uh, i think it's a really good way of meeting new people it's Absolutely. a good way of networking in some sorts yeah you're presenting your project in different ways you're talking to people with diverse backgrounds and of course <laughs> Of course, you need to be good at setting boundaries on your time so that you don't spend too much time doing things that don't help you succeed with your PhD. But doing a PhD is not only about writing those three papers and, and creating a thesis. It's about learning skills that will help you in life. And I'm, I think if the only thing you focus on is getting that um, thesis done and nothing else, you're not learning as much as you should have from a PhD and you're not getting all the skills you could have that will help you in the future either. One of the problems in academia as well is like numbers, right? You have to be, I don't know, well-sided, you have to have a lot of papers and you have to go to this amount of conferences, but this outreach thing or like these meetings with bachelor students, how how would you like count it? Uh, and that's why maybe some people have this, like, why would you spend some time not on your project thing? Something that doesn't show after. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But when people are being evaluated for positions, do they actually only look at the papers? Do they actually only look at the citation numbers? I don't feel... That's not what I do, at least. Uh, I try to find well-rounded candidates that would... Uh, benefit the department and i hope that is what other people are thinking as well yeah i think i think you do that but i think there's also a lot of people who look more you know 
a lot on the numbers and i think that's a challenge in and a problem as well you know these sort of like we call them in norwegian telekanta like but um but the, the things that can be the metrics basically yeah. right and Metrics rating or <coughs> scores, whatever you call it. I, I think the thing about metrics, right? I mean, the, the, if you have lots of well-cited papers, it probably means that you are doing a lot of something that is very useful to other people. So it's not like the numbers are completely meaningless, but it might be better to look at what's behind the numbers, what, what's, the, what's the base for the numbers, rather than just looking yeah. at the numbers. You know, I agree. I, but I think that... I agree with um, with with the sentiment of what you were saying, mm-hmm. Albino, which is like you have to excel in all these different things. You have to write many papers, get them well cited, present at conferences, do outreach, do service to your department, to the international community, or review papers and blah blah blah. You feel like this like daunting mountain of tasks that you have to do if you wanna if you wanna succeed in academia. But uh, yeah, this podcast it's. It's working hours now when we're all here, and this has nothing to do with our PhD. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting this on my outreach account. No. Well, we do have numbers. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we can uh, supply some statistics if that helps your. Uh, Good. <laughs> yeah, but this is a superb, a superb uh, outreach project that you guys have undertaken. Mm. So I think that's really worth spending time on. Well, do you remember how we started it, Adla? We actually, you were the first uh, man that we uh, came to to ask about how to do a podcast. So there is a question for you. Where is your podcast? Exactly. I, I think I recorded, I had I had my podcast plan and then I, I think I recorded uh, three episodes and then Corona came. So it's still those three episodes. So we'll see. Maybe yeah. post-Corona. I'll record some more, or I'll just keep them as a vintage collection that will be published in thirty years' time. But it's focusing on academia as well, isn't it? Or the people behind? Yeah, that was the idea. Yeah. The people behind. Nice. Yep. So we'll see. So check out the Atlas Podcast whenever it arrives. <laughs> yeah, in thirty years' time, if you're yeah. still alive. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, did we cover everything? I think we have a last question. Oh yeah, right. We have a last and a very important question. Right. Are you recording? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready? I'm ready. Who's your favorite student? Difficult <laughs> 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 question. <laughs> That's a joke. It's a joke. The one who gives me the most chocolate for Christmas. Let me go look at the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah who's, yeah, who's your favorite supervisor, Martin? That's a good question. I, um, <laughs> I shouldn't a- answer that question, should I? No, 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 you shouldn't. But, uh, I mean, sometimes you have more than one, right, favorite supervisor. It's like asking who's your idol or who's your hero. You usually have multiple heroes, right? I think it's the same thing for uh, supervisors. I'm just, you know, rowing my boat away from this conversation. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you started it. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, Albina started it, so I think she should. That uh, was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly want to thank both of you for coming today. It was really nice to have you here and uh, pick your brains about being supervisors and uh, go quite deep into the discussion about academia in general and all the problems and issues and maybe some of the solutions that we can actually have. And the pleasures. And the pleasures, of course. 
maybe that doesn't doesn't get talked about enough. There is a lot of focus on the negative things, but uh, yeah, I'm happy to have a job. Yeah, a, a fun <laughs> yeah. job as well. Yeah, and no, we have to talk about the good things as well. Okay, I think as a good as an ending, we should all say the top two things about our project. And uh, for you guys, it would be hanging out with you guys. Yeah, that's one. And participating in your podcast. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I can sign up on that. <laughs> oh, was it a serious question? <laughs> well, okay. So my, uh, my yeah. So it's like collaborating with really, really, really fun and interesting people. And it's to do the things I want to do and the things I feel would be useful in the future. Good things, good things. Yeah, I mean, I think the two favorite things for me, or two of the most positive things for me in this job is, one, to work with students and see them succeed, but not not only succeed, but to see them and and to walk with them for that part of their careers and to see them go into other jobs in society and contribute. Um, The other thing is, you know, the freedom to pursue research questions, Mm -hmm. whatever you would like to and find interesting. As long as you can find basically funding to do it, you can do it. That's academic freedom, basically. You can can do research into almost anything, which is incredibly liberating. Yes. This feeling of you, you get a student into your office at the beginning of their project, they don't really know anything about what they're doing. And then a couple of years later, they are experts on what they're doing uh, that is a very nice feeling yeah uh, again thank you so much for coming and uh, before we say goodbye I think we should just say that please follow us on Instagram <laughs> Twitter and Twitter send us an email at phdrhapsody at gmail.com if you have any questions <laughs> and feel free to contact uh, Christian Nutle if you have any inquiries about any future projects I guess Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, we should make a plug for your podcast as well, Atle. If you have a really cool side project or hobby, is that the? That's that's that, that's the idea. If you have a very a very special hobby next to your research career, then you'd be podcast material. Great. Yay! So thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye bye. Bye.